This is How to Read. I'm Milan. And I'm Olivia, the producer of this episode. Today we're talking with Stephanie Newell, a scholar of intellectual and popular culture in West Africa. This episode is about the idea of dirtiness. We tend to have a visceral response to someone we think is dirty. But Stephanie Newell argues that judging other people as dirty is more in our minds than it is about medical reality. Through examples ranging from the travel diaries of colonial British traders in West Africa, to the surprising ways Nigerian popular culture makes comedy out of disease, Stephanie shows how judging people to be dirty always involves a failure to understand them, but sometimes can also spark empathy. Steph Newell, welcome. Thank you. So we're going to talk about the idea of dirtiness. And I mean, when, when I think of that word, like, I feel like it can go in lots of different directions what it means. So what senses of that word dirty, dirtiness, are most important to the way you're thinking about it? Well, one of the key things to say from the outset is that I'm not thinking about the substance dirt. I'm not thinking about earth or soil or dirt as something that you you might hold in your hands. I'm thinking of, as you've put it, dirtiness. It's not about something that might just be... Not something physical. It's not the sort of thing that epidemiologists are interested in, you know, like dirt, then you wash. Yeah, you know, it's it's like, something. This like is bacteria and yeah, disease, and yeah, it's it's kind of on the other side of that, on the cultural flip side of that. It's related to the ideas of dirt as negative. You know, thinking about how how if something's seen as dirty, what's going on culturally? Okay, yeah, but so you're saying like something is thought of as dirty, something is seen as dirty. So it sounds like it's also very much something that's sort of in the minds of people more than in the kind of physical world. This is the really interesting point. The reason that I'm studying dirt, dirtiness, the idea of dirt, is because when somebody identifies particularly somebody else as dirty, they have a full physical reaction to that. Their whole body is involved. And because of that, it feels like they're encountering a thing. It feels like something that's out there that is dirty, yeah. not something that's coming from within. It feels natural. It feels biological. And, and you sort of mentioned earlier the, this idea of uh, like when someone judges another person to be dirty, like is it like ju- people being judged as dirty that is particularly interesting to you? That's been my chief interest. And what started this exploration was I, I was reading um, travel narratives and diaries from traders, from British traders who went to West Africa in the 1870s. And a lot of the traders, who were just ordinary working-class British men, started trading with local people. And in their diaries, they continuously refer to local people as dirty. So there's one trader called John Whitford who was travelling in one village and he talked about the the dirty women, the women are so dirty. And, And actually, when he went to describe what he meant by dirty, actually, he meant ugly. And by ugly, he meant... Using local products like, say, cosmetics, soap. That wasn't familiar to these English people. He couldn't, he simply couldn't recognise what they had put on their bodies. And so it wasn't actually dirt, dirtiness, nor in fact, well, it was ugly according to him, but beauty or self-adornment according to the local people. 
So one thing that I want to ask to get um, a, a sense specifically of, of what these senses of dirty are is um, what, what different things dirty is in opposition to. So you've already mentioned this idea of, um, you know, it's not just the opposite of clean, but also the opposite of beauty. Um, but so, yeah, like when, when people are using this term dirty and judging other people as dirty, you know, what's the thing that they're sort of failing to be? Yeah, not that word failure is just absolutely crucial. It can be quite productive, I think, the idea of failure. And what I found is that the, the concept of dirty or the category of dirty often marks a failure of comprehension. So yes, there are well, th- a failure of comprehension, a failure on, of the comprehension part of on the part the of the on the part of the person using the word dirty, and that failure can be catastrophic. Racism often operates using categories of dirt. Often, I mean, you might just think, for example, about Rwanda and how the category of cockroach was used to actually initiate a genocide. The the Hutu-dominated radio started to say, "Kill the cockroaches." This was the invitation to begin the genocide. Um, You might also think about Nazi Germany, where Jews were associated with rats, vermin. So the category of vermin, which is inextricable from dirt, is often associated with genocide, xenophobia, the most extreme kinds of anti-humanism and hatred. And you still get that now. You can still see that in contemporary racist discourse and also homophobic discourse as well, where, you know, the stigmatised body is associated with vermin and once you associate a body with vermin you are inviting eradication of that body so that's a very very extreme kind of failure (laughs) in terms of an, an interpretation using the category of dirt can can lead in extreme cases to genocide well and so understanding like you've been saying that it's it's you know it's something more in the mind than in the physical world and that it's about like a failure of understanding becomes all the more important when the potential consequences yeah. are so dire. There's other ways though. Um, if, if that was the stopping point, I wouldn't actually be that interested in the category of dirt. Mm. This is where I've become really interested in it. And it goes right back to those traders and their encounters where something that they didn't recognise was associated with dirt and dirtiness. Yeah. Well, I have lots of questions about that, but should we just check on this tea? Oh, yes, I please. See if it's looking. So let me pour you some. And okay. then... There's other ways that using dirt fails, you know, using the category of dirt fails, that I think are slightly more productive and more interesting than those extreme kind of genocidal, you know, often those that the really extreme discourses, they come from um, governments, they come from particular media outlets, they sometimes even come from churches and religious organisations or from the colonial governments. There's an official way of, of using the category of dirt to really negate other people. But there's other ways, there's ways that, certainly with the interviews that we ran in Lagos. So you were sort of talking to people there about dirtiness, right? Yes. So, so could you say a bit more about what, what that project was? Yeah, I was lucky enough to receive a European Research Council grant um, and that enabled me to put a team of researchers together in Lagos, Nigeria, to interview people. And during the process of talking to people about their daily lives, we wanted to find out if there were persons, places, things, you know, objects and environments and, and other people that might be seen as dirty. Often when people were talking about 
well, who do you see as dirty? They would start to talk about particular sort of stigmatised populations. So you had the beginnings of that really kind of hostile, rejecting, dangerous interpretation. But, but people, ordinary people, started to get curious. Like dirt started to be a little bit marking their curiosity. So okay. we'd say, well, who do you think of as dirty? So we didn't want to plant any ideas. And people very often talked about homosexuality. What they start to say is, my pastor in my church, he says this is dirty, it's a sin against God. And then people would say, but I wonder why people do that. And, and the other kind of real pariah um, in Lagos that, that people raised was people that worked with trash. So the waste removal, often in the old days, who would absolutely cover themselves completely, not only to protect against contagion, but also so that other people wouldn't recognise them because it's a real stigmatised profession. And again, people would say, well, you must be mad to do that work. It's so dirty. And then starting to say, oh, yeah, well... I wonder why people do that and they make money from it and they're making a good living. So why would somebody behave like that? People started to speculate empathetically. Yeah, so as soon as they were like, wow, I see this other person or this group of people that I have this like visceral reaction of, you know, and people around me are telling me they're dirty, but it is a potential starting point. Exactly. then being like, well... Maybe that's especially yeah. why it's interesting people being judged as dirty because you're like, well, exactly. this is a person who, you know, can make choices and, you know, why have they chosen to Exactly. Be like- when people talked about other bodies, other people that, that had been identified as dirty, empathy outweighed that kind of total rejection. So dirt and dirtiness as a starting point. For curiosity. For curiosity. For understanding other yeah. people. But often that empathy kind of retreated back into yeah but I don't know I still don't know why they do it I wouldn't do it I don't know why they do it so this that's why there's a sort of failure really yeah. in this category it's a, it's a way of it's a way of acknowledging one's own failure of interpretation that I see you as dirty because I can't I just can't make that final leap of understanding to to, to really empathize with why you're doing that but I'll try so uh I'm really interested to know a little bit more about like the kind of popular culture um, and how these ideas of like dirtiness, judging other people to be dirty, how does that play out in popular culture in those countries or in Nigeria specifically? Yeah, interestingly, when we started the project, it almost precisely coincided with the outbreak of Ebola in in West Africa. So, so immediately there was the topic of you know who you touch how you touch them because that's transmitted just by like touching skin you do have to exchange body fluids with somebody to catch ebola and the but but the popular perception of ebola is your literally proximity it certainly created an environment for us to go into where people were thinking about infection and contagion and and particularly thinking about how they how other people in the city um, even just shaking hands, you know, stopped. Wow, yeah. And in Lagos, there's a whole film industry called no- Nollywood. That's Nollywood. right, yeah, yeah Nollywood. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's it's huge, absolutely huge. And during the Ebola outbreak, there were just multiple movies. There was Ebola Doctors, Ebola Malaria, Ebola in Kingdom. There were comedies. 
So, you know, where... The, the movies about Ebola. Yeah, they were, were comedies. comedies. They were comedies. That's... They weren't kind of tragic stories about Ebola wiping out entire nations. These were comedies. You can actually watch them online, quite a few of them. Just type in Ebola Nigeria, Ebola Nollywood. You, you'll get some of these movies. Um, and the comedy was generally around... You'd have people that were masquerading as doctors. So they'd dress up as doctors and then tell local, gullible local people like to go eat cola nuts and cola nut will cure it, will protect you against Ebola or or dr- this was a, you know, drink salt, drink salted water and okay, this will protect you. Which is like you, horrible. Which is but... actually lethal. Oh, <laughs> you know, this will kill you. Yeah. And, and, because, and what they were doing was playing with all the local kind of um, beliefs and mythologies about what might prevent Ebola. Um, you can see how popular culture was like, yeah, joking with Ebola and commenting on it at the same time. Yeah, that's, inc- I mean, that's incredible. Um, not something you would think anyone would joke about, but then, I mean, it, it really goes to show what you were saying right at the beginning, which is like, you know, these judgments of dirtiness are so much kind of in the mind, or at least there's, there's this whole component that is yeah. like really just psychological and you do get some really interesting ways that local cultures pick up on and weave stories out of these official languages about dirt and dirtiness. And very often what happens on the ground, not to over-romanticise what happens on the ground, but very, very often it's, you know, people, they're not so categorical, they're not so absolute about labelling others dirty. There's there's a sort of, they'll be joking, there'll be something. Yeah, well, that curiosity you were talking yeah. about as well earlier, you know. There are a number of African governments that have made homosexuality illegal and in some countries punishable by death. So at an official level, you've got that kind of pariah body being labelled and identified. But these are cosmopolitan cities. Lagos is hugely cosmopolitan and you cannot be that categorical about the dirty other. You simply can't because you're living cheek by jowl. With so many different yeah, others. Yeah, with multiple language groups and multiple religions. And it's so multicultural that even if you see somebody else as dirty, you don't want to be like them, but you have to accept them in a way that perhaps that language of dirt and dirtiness is trying to somehow yeah. mark it. It marks it. Right, because if, if dirtiness can be this thing that, you know, at the worst is like genocidal... It, it is also this term that people are using to try and, yeah, like, figure out how to live together. Yeah. So, I mean, we've already talked about the way that these colonial powers really messed things up in the ways that they were judging things to be dirty or not. Um, so maybe this is a difficult question for you, but if you ran the world, how would we treat dirtiness differently? Long pause. <laughs> I think, okay, we would remove, we would remove it as a category. I think I'd have to be in an even greater position than running the world to make this happen. It would have to be running language, running the brain. Wow. Running the brain. I'd take, I would would want to take out the bit of the brain that identifies others using categories relating to dirt, even though we've spoken about how productive some of those failures can be, that they are efforts to reach out particularly at the official level, at government level, whether it's colonial government or post-colonial governments or churches, when the category of dirt is used, I, I think it, it closes down so much. So so I think, you know, in spite of having... Dedicated run this years high, of yeah, life You know, seven years of research. It's just at, it's at that official level. I would want to delete it as a category. 
Yeah, well, I think you've made a very good case for why. <laughs> well, Stephanie, well, thank you very thank much. Thank you. That's it for this episode. For links to books mentioned in our discussion, plus further reading, visit our website, howtoreadpodcast.com. You can also listen to two bonus clips. One clip discussing how the British caused more disease by building supposedly hygienic toilets in colonial Africa. And another clip describing a Kenyan song about the Obamas that mocked the racist international response to Ebola. To hear about our latest episodes and news, follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, at HowToReadNow. This episode was produced by me, Milan Talunen, and by me, Olivia Branscombe. Our theme music is by Poddington Bear. Special thanks to Columbia University for its support, and thank you for listening.